Uh, so, as Keith said, this morning's passage, if we're, gonna, we're continuing our book in Colossians, not collisions, like it's autocorrected in my notes, I've just noticed. Colossians, uh, Colossians chapter 3, verses 18 to chapter 4, verse 1. Not quite sure what the monk was thinking when he was dividing up this particular section. <laughs> why why he, he, he stopped, started chapter 4 right at the end of this section. But, hey, it's okay. We got there. So, Colossians uh, 3, 18, 4 to 1. If you've got your Bibles, please turn there. It says, Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting for those who belong to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and never treat them harshly. Children, obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you are serving is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you will be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. Masters, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. So what is this passage about? Uh, well, this passage is a manifesto of love and equality within God's plan for relational order in the family. It's about authority and submission. It's about obedience and human flourishing. See, Paul tells us what it looks like to stand for righteousness in the marketplace, in the workplace, and in our family space. This passage is about relational structure. It's not about power structure. It's about the great leveler of Christianity that transcends societal expectations and tears down our ideas of authority and submission. Those ideas that we all too often allow uh, to dictate our value to us and tell us how we are to treat people and be treated. And it shows us God's better plan and gives us a deeper, more beautiful understanding of what it means to live in submission. And although the teachings of this passage do take place in the framework of the family unit, which included slaves who, in the absence of an heir, would often inherit their master's wealth, they are a reflection of the wider teachings of the New Testament. So, whilst we look at the specific example of the family this morning, I also want to draw out the main principles of this text and apply them to our lives and context today more generally. But the main theme of this packet, passage is submission and relationship. So straight out of the gate, uh, we read that for wives, this means submitting to your husbands. Now, please don't throw anything at me. I know, I know in, the, in this age of, of feminism, it, it seems to be an almost offensive notion, um, as if submission is the same as subjugation. Uh, to submit is somehow to degrade your own value as a human being. That's not what this passage means at all. In fact, the following command to husbands to love your wives and never treat them harshly makes this clear. This section is not a blank check for men to, subje to subject and mistreat women. 
in their lives. It is not, and neither is it a command for women to endure or accept unloving or abusive behavior. In fact, in the parallel of this teaching in Ephesians 5, it goes one step further and commands husbands to love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. I mean, I wonder, who, who wouldn't want to submit to a partner who loved them like Christ loved the church? I wonder how, many, how different the institution of marriage would look if, if we took, we men took these verses to heart. And I can tell you as a husband, these words ring in my ear. <laughs> they are a tel- terrifying responsibility <laughs> and a challenge that I, I try and live up to as a man, as a husband. Men, I challenge you with that. We have a great responsibility of the heads of our household to love our wives like Christ. And when I say heads of our household, I'm not describing a power, power hierarchy here. Uh, but I'm just reiterating God's revealed plan for relational order in the family. Matthew Henry put it this way, and he, I love this quote. He says, woman was created from the rib of man to be beside him, not from his head to top him, nor from his feet to be trampled by him, but from under his arm to be protected by him, and near to his heart to be loved by him. This passage also speaks of the relationship between parents and children. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. I know all the parents in the room are really gutted the kids have already gone out. <laughs> but you can, you can reiterate this later, it's fine. Children, always obey your parents, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not aggravate your children, or they will become discouraged. For children, submission is expressed slightly differently in this passage. In the instruction to obey their parents, this passage reinforces the understanding that submission is not simply a one-time decision, but is a heart position that requires daily action. It requires a response. Children are told that it pleases the Lord for them to obey parents, and obedience is the fruit of submission. You cannot be truly submitted to someone if you refuse to obey them. <laughs> Nor can you obey someone without being submitted. And verse 20 tells us that the obedience that flows from being rightly submitted to our parents actually pleases God. How mad is that? That we, in an act of our will, can do something that adds to the pleasure of God, the creator of all things, who is completely perfect and full, and yet he tells us that there is something that we can do that adds to his pleasure, that adds to his joy. What a motivator. Kids, if you're watching this back later, <laughs> this means that when you are asked to tidy your room, I'm going to look, look at the camera because there's none in the room, this means that when you're asked to tidy your room, God is pleased when you do it. Or when you're asked to unload the dishwasher or do your homework. 
Your obedience to your parents doesn't just honor them or simply help you develop the skills that you need to mature as an adult. No, by obeying your parents, you are exercising your will in a way that actually gives pleasure to God in heaven. And for parents, verse 21, yes, of course there are, there are I wouldn't say children, but younger folk in the room. Um, for parents, verse 21 shows us another, gives us another reminder uh, that headship comes with responsibility. A responsibility to love our children well and not to aggravate them. That means don't tease them when they start showing interest in members of the opposite sex. (laughs) Or mock them when you walk into their bedroom and you catch them dancing like nobody's watching. Okay? Or when they attempt to use a new word or phrase in conversation and get it completely wrong. I can't think of a Pacific example here. Uh, You know, as parents, the most significant area of ministry any of us will ever have is our children. And so if we want to help them grow as part of a loving, godly family and ultimately grow in their submission to God, then we must ourselves be obedient to God's direction to us as parents to model righteousness, grace, and unity in the way we treat them. We also see this dynamic of submission and relational order played out in the slave and master scenario. Now, in the context into which this letter was written, what constituted a slave was wide and varied. Uh, It varied from what we imagine when we hear the word slave. You know, someone being... Uh, a simple belonging and treated with all the respect and care that you would have expected from the chattel slavery of the 17th and 18th century. It, it, It went from that through every degree of servitude up to and including adoption and sonship. So what dictated their position was the nature of their relationship to their master. In that way, it's not appropriate for us to take these verses as a direct comparable uh, of employer and employee relationships. It's really not. But it is certainly something that we can apply to our uh, workspace relationships. So, verses 22. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything you do. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. Serve them sincerely because of your reverent fear of the Lord. Work willingly at whatever you do, as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will give you an inheritance as your reward, and that the master you serve is Christ. But if you do what is wrong, you'll be paid back for the wrong you have done, for God has no favorites. And masters, be just as fair to your slaves, be just and fair to your slaves. Remember that you also have a master in heaven. So if we do take this teaching and apply it to our workplaces, as employees, we are told to submit to those in authority over us at work. Yes, even when we think the boss is a wally, even when we're convinced they've got it wrong, even when we feel unappreciated and unmotivated, this scripture tells us to submit and serve sincerely, not because the person deserves it, but out of reference for God 
and to work at whatever we do as if we are doing it for the Lord himself. This is a real challenge. <laughs> you know, I can testify over a couple of decades spanning number of different jobs and various uh, qualities of boss, let's say, <laughs> it is a difficult thing to swallow. I would like to point out, though, that just as in marriage, this is not a command to tolerate abuse or bullying or negligence in the workplace. We are called to godly submission, not abusive subjugation. But thankfully, in verse 24 and 25, we also have the comforting assurance that when we stand for righteousness in the workplace, when we work as to the Lord and remain rightly submitted to authority, we are promised God's reward and ultimate justice. I know and can testify from difficult situations I've faced in past jobs, the great release that comes from knowing my ultimate responsibility in my work is to the Lord. That I can follow his command to submit to even the most difficult and unlikable boss and trust him to take care of everything else. And know that in doing so, he takes pleasure in me as I grow in my faith and bear witness to his glory to those around me. And to those of you in this room who are the boss, who are in authority in your workplace, everything I've just said about your employees applies to you too. But you also have the God-given responsibility to use your position wisely, to act justly in your role. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 20, uh, verses 25 to 28, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great men exercise authority over them. But this is not the way among you. But whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And whoever wishes to be first among you shall be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as ransom for many. But let's just zoom out a little bit. Um, let's look at the bigger picture here. What does this mean for us as believers more generally? What does this mean for us as, as a body? After all, not all of us in this room are married. Uh, not even everyone in this room is, is able to work. So what does this principle of submission and relationship modeled here mean for us as a body of believers? Well, right before the parallel teaching of this, this section in Ephesians, uh, we see the same command in a more general sense for believers, to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it also links back to what I was speaking about last week, um, about meekness. See, submission, like meekness, uh, is not an act of weakness. Let's not confuse meekness and weakness, uh, and submission is not an act of weakness but of rightly ordered relationship in the light of God's revealed plan for the church body. It's that domesticated strength, that power under authority. And you know what? That affects how we relate to one another as the body of Christ. We in this room, out of reverence for Christ, are called to submit to one another and to love one another as Christ loves the church. 
what would this room feel like if we were all doing that properly? <laughs> and in loving each other, we are also not to provoke each other in areas of weakness or vulnerability or immaturity. But instead, out of obedience, we are to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which we have been called. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That's Ephesians 4, 1 to 3. As part of our loving submission to one another, we must be mindful of each other's needs, emotions, spiritual maturity, and be willing to show grace for any offense we might feel. And, just as important, be quick to repentance and seek forgiveness when we ourselves fall short. We are to bear with one another in love in the pursuit of righteousness, in the pursuit of righteous unity and to recognize our responsibility to do all we can to live at peace with each other as far as it depends on us without violation of our God-given conscience. But ultimately, if we zoom back again, all of this reflects our greater call to submit every aspect of our life to God the Father as we walk out our heavenly mandate to make disciples and to be salt and light as we stand for righteousness in this fallen world. This submission includes our home life, our work life, our church life, our inner life, our fears, our finances, our pain, our politics, our desires, and our decisions. In all things and in all areas of our life, we must stand for righteousness in full submission to God. And unlike any earthly husband, we, the bride of Christ, have a heavenly partner who is perfect in his love for us. Why wouldn't we submit? Unlike any earthly father, we, who are called the children of God, have a perfect father who always knows and is working for what is best for us in our lives. Why wouldn't we obey and unlike any earthly master, we can count ourselves, we who count ourselves as slaves to righteousness, serve a master who is faultless in his wisdom and judgment. Why wouldn't we trust and serve him? This morning, we spent time in, in prayer for the people of Ukraine. We have shed tears we have called out to God for justice. This is good. And the Bible is clear that fervent, the fervent prayer of the righteous man or woman is profoundly effective. But what does our submission to authorities look like in these times? And how can we respond in submission to God? Well, the purpose of God in governing authorities is to restrain evil and lawlessness. We, as his people, are called to cooperate with and pray for those governing authorities as they work out that purpose and submit to their mandate from God, even when we don't necessarily agree with everything they're doing. But when governments become agents for injustice, 
and unrighteousness. They move away from their God-ordained purpose, and we cannot cooperate with this, and we must make our voice heard. Failure to do so is to abdicate our call and responsibility to be salt and light in this fallen world. In Ukraine, Vladimir Putin is attempting to exert illegitimate authority over its people because of his own territorial ambitions. In pursuit of his desire to build his own kingdom, he's willing to sacrifice the lives of countless Russians and Ukrainians. But we, who represent the kingdom of heaven on earth, are called by God to stand with and identify with the oppressed, to stand for righteousness and for justice. Whatever other motives may be at play, our government is also standing with the oppressed, with the sanctions and and sanctuary for those displaced by this war. It is therefore entirely appropriate that we strengthen their resolve and encourage them towards greater generosity in this endeavor. What form this encouragement takes is a matter of your personal conscience before God, to whom we must all one day give account. But I'll tell you one thing, prayer is mandatory. We need to be praying. But allow me to suggest some other steps, should you think them appropriate. Write to your MP. Encourage them. Point out where you stand on this issue and offer to pray for them. Don't just write to your favorite politicians. Write to everyone you can get an address for. Attend peaceful public gatherings. At 2 p.m. this afternoon, there is a gathering of believers. We've already spoken about it this morning. From the churches across this city to stand as one body and pray outside the town hall. I strongly encourage you to join us in attending. Not only are our prayers vital for the blessing and protection of Ukraine and the rest of the world at this time, but in our unity as believers, it will be a powerful witness to our city and to this nation. Volunteer in humanitarian endeavors, collection centers, that kind of thing. Donate money to support the needy and displaced, if you are financially able and you feel led to offer even a small amount of support, then in our weekly email this week, you will see that we've set up a Ukraine relief fund and you will find details of how to give into that in the email as well. That money will be distributed to the people and churches of Ukraine where it is desperately needed. This is our agape love. This is what it is to be a church who does what they believe rather than sings and hears about it. This is part of obeying God's call to submit to each other out of reverence to him. But above all of these things, remember, the answer to this world's needs are not political, they are not social, they are not philosophical. Neither is there salvation in any other For there is no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. The answer can only ever be Jesus. Submit yourselves to Christ. Pray at all times, seeking God for his will, for his intervention and protection. 
trusting him for our needs and for the needs of those we weep for. Pray standing on the promise of Scripture that the weapons of our warfare are powerful to the bringing down of strongholds. Lord, in your name we trust. Amen.